This podcast is intended as entertainment for grown-ups and to spread awareness of 826LA, a nonprofit writing and tutoring center for children ages 6 to 18. Visit 826LA.org for a full schedule of 826LA's events and programs, including the Time Travel Mart, with locations in Echo Park and Mar Vista, California. And now, the host of the Dead Authors Podcast, Mr. H.G. Wells. Hello all, I'm H.G. Wells, and welcome to this very special addendum to the Dead Authors Podcast. What a rare treat it was to travel all the way to... Bombashoot. In the... Pacific Northwesterly. City of... Seattle. And how fortunate that our guest for this addendum was... Christopher Marlowe. Author of... All kinds of like plays and poems and stuff. It was my profound honor to meet... Him. It only remains for me to thank... Everybody up there, Bombashoot. And... Christopher Marlowe. For... His... Time. Thanks also to... Matt Gorley. For no particular reason. Now please enjoy Addendum 2 of the Dead Authors Podcast with guest Christopher Marlowe recorded live from Bumbershoot in Seattle. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the Bumbershoot Festival in Seattle, Washington. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much indeed, ladies and gentlemen. What a, what a pleasure to see uh, so many people uh, out here this evening. Uh, uh, a rare, uh, this is the latest we've ever done this show, I believe. Um, I, I am, uh, allow me to introduce myself, I am H.G. Wells. I am your host of the Dead Authors Podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Fans of science fiction, a genre I created. Jules Verne disagrees, don't get it twisted. Jules Verne is a hack. <laughs> Science fiction, let's break it down. Is there such a thing as a giant squid? I believe there is. It's somewhat science, certainly not fiction. Uh, let me ask you this though, when's the last time you've seen an invisible man? You haven't because first of all, he'd be invisible, but secondly, I made him up. Science fiction kaboom. Jules Verne just takes things that already exist, puts them under water. Soggy fiction would be more like it. Now, a little late with the hiss, it felt like it was directed at me. But of course, that's impossible because it's my show. <laughs> this is the Dead Authors Podcast. And the, the authors that you're about to see, uh, myself included, we are not dead. You see, I'm not only the author of The Time Machine, I'm also the owner of A Time Machine. <laughs> yay, yay indeed. <laughs> Don't know if I've ever gotten quite that reaction at the revelation that time travel was indeed a fact. Yay, this bloke says. <laughs> and so I use my time machine uh, to pluck uh, authors who are now dead in your time from their time in the past to your present, which is their future. Now we've got the whole wheel of time travel covered. Past, present, and future. And uh, what we do is we ask them questions, and so uh, you, the audience, get to know them a little bit better. We take questions from the social networking platform Twitter, um, so that people who couldn't be here, I don't know why that was funny. We do, we do it, that's what we do. 
a subtler joke than even I imagined I was telling. And I, I didn't imagine I was telling a joke at all. Um, and so uh, you get to know these people a little bit better. And, uh, and uh, we well, we're, we're very pleased to be here in Seattle, Washington for the very first time. And uh, we are produced in uh, Los Angeles by uh, the 826 Los Angeles uh, uh, group. Yes, indeed. Um, so it's a tutoring program for, for kids, uh, writing and tutoring and mentoring program for kids. And uh, we're very happy that uh, at the behest uh, uh, and, and uh, serving at the pleasure of uh, 826 Seattle uh, with their superhero supply. Is it superhero, I believe, or is it space travel? Space travel. It's very hard to keep them all straight. It's very hard to keep them all straight. And also because I exist outside of time and space. <laughs> Um, so we're very pleased. If you're not familiar with uh, the 826 organization, please do look them up and see how you can volunteer for 826 right here in your very own hometown. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let us begin the show. Is everyone ready to meet a now dead author? Fantastic. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, the, uh, the author I'm about to bring out the, here this evening is um, a contemporary of William Shakespeare. Um, was a friend of William Shakespeare, and for all we know, is William Shakespeare. Please welcome Christopher Marlowe. Christopher Marlowe, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, Mr. Marlowe. Thank you very much for being here. Oh, it shall magnify my voice tenfold. Never have I felt so powerful. Thou art beautiful. Wells? Yes, hello. <laughs> yes, please. Preserve some modesty. <laughs> Revelry! Are there, any, are there any small children here this evening? Good. That's probably, that's probably best. Well, now that's not... <laughs> Mr. Marlowe, that wasn't meant to be taken as an invitation. I know an open gate beckoning me forth like so many invitees bringing me to their bacchanalia when I hear it well. <laughs> Speaking of bacchanalia, it's quite a large uh, to-go coffee you've brought out on the stage. Yes, this is mead, ale, grog... Sweet drink. <laughs> Sweet drink. Sweet drink. Fermented in the sugary confines. Some of... purple stuff. <laughs> Grape aid. <laughs> <laughs> well, please don't, don't let me uh, uh, interrupt your quaffing. Um, please do enjoy. Uh, thank you for being our guest. I, I, I understand uh, it's, cust it's customary for uh, uh, a guest to uh, bring along a little selection of their works to read for our, uh, our audience. Yea, though I have done such a thing, scrolled it up in parchment like so many papyrin sleeping bags camping their way into your hearts. <clears throat> Let me say unto thee. Oh, well, here we go. We live in parallel times. You have such great writers putting their script and scrippage down on your paper. Though it be digital, we put ours on paper. And it is very much the same. My first play was Dido, Queen of Carthage. You yourselves have a Dido. <laughs> and if I could, I'd like to read from her works right now. 
little unorthodox, but I don't see. I'll allow it. Go right ahead. I shall do my best to con it from memory. I am what I am. I do what I want. I think what I think. I go where I go. I won't sleep. I can't breathe until you're resting here with me. Ha <laughs> ha! Dido fans in the house. Now, just to prove the parallels between our two worlds, I shall read from my great play, Dr. Faustus, and see if you can't find something else in there, a little parallel between and twixt you and me. If we say that we have no sin, we decide ourselves, and there's no truth in us, why then be like we must sin, and so consequently die? Aye, we must die an everlasting death. What doctrine call you this? Que sera, sera. What will be, will be. Doris Day, ladies and gentlemen. She took it from me. What a, what a Shyamalanian reveal at the end there. <laughs> I didn't expect Doris Day to pop by. There's always one great mind for every generation. She is now past. <laughs> oh, I, I, I actually don't know. Is, does anyone know if, if Miss Day is still with us? Doesn't matter. That's saying something right there if we don't know. <laughs> You're on the not list, Doris. <laughs> you better look sharp. Uh, and as far as the, uh, uh, the Dido recitation, I just want to thank you for reading that. Microphone cheers. <laughs> like they did it in your day. Um, you were born in, uh, in Canterbury um, to a shoemaker. Um, and I don't like the way you say that. <laughs> do, you, do you feel as if I was a bit disparaging of shoemakers, that I, my voice took on a tone? Yes, it's not like I was born to a glove maker like Will Shakespeare, that two-brain tit. <laughs> yet, yet the two brains. <laughs> was that an insult in your day? Yes. Absolutely, you see. It's like having two livers. What's the use? From what I know of physiology, which isn't much, I'm a poet. Now, your, your date of birth remains... Uh, your exact date of birth remains unknown to this day. We know you were baptized on the uh, 26th of February um, in uh, 1564. So would you, we, we presume that you were born a few days before then. The customary distance is three days hence from baptism. So are you willing, are you willing to go on the record? This would be quite an exclusive. <laughs> are you willing to go on the record as marking your birthday as 23 February? Wells, thou hast put me in a vomitous rage. <laughs> Big I will, not be, I will not be party to your new-timey gotcha journalism. I'm well aware of it. Because this is a slippery slope. All you want me to do is name my birthday. Then next, did you work for the government? Did you write Will Shakespeare's plays? No, I won't say. Yes, I was born sometime before my baptism. <laughs> Ipso facto... I was baptized, and I was Protestant. I was not Catholic or atheist, which I know you're getting to, and if I was, it was all in service of Her Majesty. I'm not a spy! Oh, right. Right, no one has accused you of being a spy yet. Sweet drink. Have some, have some more Sunny D. You thread the rims of your urns for coffee dispensary and it makes it all the more difficult for ale sluiceways. 
there we go. That's why we put the little, little notch in there. Just drink it right from the spout. Um, so, as you, as you mentioned, uh, Dido, Queen of Carthage, is uh, believed to have been your first play. Um, and uh, your first play performed on the regular stage, seven, uh, 1587, Tamburlaine the Great. <laughs> I'm not a spy. No one... You, you're the only one saying it at this point. Just because I drive an Aston Martin carriage through the streets of London <laughs> does not make me a spy. Tamburlaine, such a success. Yes. Spawned a sequel, Tamburlaine the Great, part two. I was the first to do it, but not the last. It goes down in history books with the great sequels, Godfather 2, Empire Strikes Back. Oh. I'm sorry, no love for the Godfather part two? It's a pretty good film. I mean, it's no Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> but it tries in its small way. <laughs> Microphone cheers. <laughs> you have written several plays. Yes. Um, not, uh, not as many as most. <laughs> as most? As most people who write plays? Can I explain something about the prose that issues from my mouth like so many purple fountains spraying blood betwixt the combatants? I'd love to give you permission, but I don't know what you're asking. What I'm saying is, brilliance is not something that can be reined in. It moves before you. It moves first. It comes out of your mouth before your thoughts combine themselves into cogent formulas. I know not what I'll say, only that it will be brilliant. So yes, more, many more than most. See, you can't recapture it. Lightning in a bottle. <laughs> I, just, I just wish to remind you, no, no one's angry with you. You're, no, you're, you're not on trial here. This is just, we, we just like to get to know you better. My reputation precedes me, you see. I'm a bit volatile. Well, it, pre it precedes you by you talking about it. But it also postseeds me as we are in a future time. I can't wrap my head around it. Well, you've got me there. Uh, Dr. Faustus, of course, uh, the play that, uh, from which you read, uh, many people have heard of. But uh, some of your other plays, um, uh, I think people are less uh, familiar with. The Jew of Malta. <laughs> you might know it under its commercialized name, The Merchant of Venice. Ha! Oh, that's a burn on Shakespeare. <laughs> He's a tit. Even if he exists, or isn't me. Now, now. Spoilers, spoilers. I'm not saying he isn't, or he is, or that I'm a spy. Sir, I do, but right, right. It's a rights issue, it's a rights issue. Yes. I just will say I have been enjoying your motion pictures. Yes, I certainly have. <laughs> the Godfather Part Two, Empire Strikes Back. Um, Edward the Second, another play of yours, uh, English history play about the deposition of uh, King Edward the Second. Maybe you know it under its Shakespearean name, Richard the Second, or Tamburlaine, the Henriad. No? Well, no, the the full title of the earliest uh, extant edition is "The Troublesome Reign and Lamentable Death of Edward the Second, King of England, with the Tragical Fall of Proud Mortimer." 
You know, I wrote the title and thought, I don't need to go any further. Yes, it seems like it's all there. I, li- I like how um, Proud Mortimer comes in right at the end there. Featuring, it's like, and the rest. There's no actual play, it's only a title. Uh, the Massacre at Paris. Macbeth. Um, now, we don't have any surviving uh, uh, text uh, of the Massacre of Paris. It's been uh, constructed from uh, memory of the performances, unfortunately. Um, and it was about um, uh, the events of the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. Uh, English Protestants invoked as the blackest example of Catholic treachery. Yes. It features the <laughs> English agent whom subsequent tradition has identified with Marlowe himself. Is that true? Do you feel as if you were, this, the English agent was a stand-in for yourself? Twice in my life I was put on trial in most embarrassing shackles whether they be but verbal or physical, I was put on trial in front of a privy council for being Catholic of sorts. (laughs) Now, I will not say, nay, whether I shall be Catholic, have been Catholic, or am Catholic today. But just because I wrote myself a play does not in any way make me sway the sachet of the (laughs) Pepe. Do you know that old one? <laughs> yes, an old, old jingle about the Pope. <laughs> it's about the plague, you know. <laughs> well, they were all about the plague back then, weren't they? Well, what else was there to and write about? Bar, bar, black sheep, have you any wool? It's the plague. Red, rosy, come over, I've got rings around my scars, I don't know. <laughs> what is it? That one's a bit on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> And, of course, Dr. Faustus, which is about uh, uh, a bloke making a deal with the devil. Too close to home. <laughs> oh, is that right? Have you made a deal with the devil? Listen, how many of you here know my history? <laughs> He's up and about again. <laughs> I live an all-too-tragic life, history will tell you. I left this mortal coil at the age of nine and twenty, stabbed above the right eye with a bare bodkin in a barroom brawl. Now, usually a guest don't know such things. Um, I wasn't done! (laughs) Pray continue, Mr. Marlowe. But here I stand before you, a man of 30. How is that possible? Did I die? We will never know. I'm not a spy. (laughs) Sorry, continue. Um... Part of the success of your plays was believed uh, to have been the stage presence of uh, one of the actors, uh, a fellow named Edward Allen. He was unusually tall for the time. Um, To watch him upon the stage, being uh, so much taller than everyone else, could you describe for us what was that like? Well, it was my words that gave him loft, my stilted verbiage that rose a man of 5'4 to the heights of (laughs) 6'7". Words are the only height. Words are the only height. Thou canst not reach clouds by long shanks alone. (laughs) Thou hast to soar to them with illusions, metaphor, words. So you're saying this, Edward Allen, rather a shrimpy fellow, who when saying your words appeared to be six foot seven. He was legally a dwarf. Well, it's certainly a tribute to you that we, we remember him as being so uh, Conan O'Brien-esque in his stature. I won't say it myself, though I just did. <laughs> now, um, 
there is very little that is, uh, that is known about you because uh, you lived a, a great long time ago. Um, and, and as with many uh, figures of your time, uh, what is known is from legal records and so forth. Um, you have been described as a spy? <laughs> oh, have I? <laughs> na, 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 na. Please, sir? <laughs> I believe you get five seconds or six notes, whichever is short. Well, this is a charitable organization. We can't risk it. <laughs> Been described as a spy, a brawler, a heretic, as well as a magician, a duelist, a tobacco user. What? Yes. It gets worse. It gets that worse. That one will not stand, it sir. It gets worse. Not my word. Not my word, sir. It gets worse. A counterfeiter, and perhaps is the worst one. A rake hell. You've been described as a rake hell. Now, first of all, tell us, do you feel that's fair? And secondly, tell us, what is that? <laughs> Many years have that burned in my bosom, firing such a rage so as to furnace any long, long hallway with heat. <laughs> but then, having come forward into your glorious era, Having watched my empires striking back, my godfathers too, and stumbling upon one of the greatest rake hells of all, Rakehell Welch. So beautiful, such a shining star, I can't help but think I be in good company. I'll take it. But tobacco user, I will not. You know that causes lung cancer, emphysema. We knew that back then. I say, have you seen any of these adverts, uh, the television adverts, where the people walk around, they've got a hole in their throat or something? It's gruesome. Uh, you watch this, and it's, it's designed to scare people away from cigarettes. But I say, what about those of us who don't smoke cigarettes? We still have to watch these adverts. That seems very unfair. Old Queenie Elizabeth had one of those, you know. She had a throat hole? Yes. Tracheostomies were invented in 15... What? I'm sorry? Tracheostomies. Invented in 1532. Tracheostomies? Absolutely. Now, what, how is that different than, say, a tracheotomy? <laughs> you laugh, but that's the technical name. It's like elephantiasis, not elephantitis. I can't believe I'm here with such dilettantes. I'm a man of words, a gentleman of letters. I shan't need to explain myself, knowing full well I don't know the difference. A tracheostomy is a surgical procedure. A tracheotomy is when you're out in the battlefield and you've got like a big pen cap and you just <laughs> shove it in the throat there to put a little tube in there so some air can escape and you, you, you release the valve every once in a while because I've been watching Three Kings in the desert. <laughs> What a great film. I do love your motion pictures. That Catherine Heigl. What's your, what's your favorite Heigl? Uh, I believe it was 99 dresses. No, that's a bit too many. It's a bit too many. Now, you don't, don't laugh at Mr. Marlowe because of course I've transported him to the future to see the sequels. Eventually, they get all the way up to 1,001 dresses. I, I should live so long. But do you? Yes. <laughs> Uncharacteristically straightforward. Now, let's get down to it. You have been alleged 
to be a government spy. What? Now we're going to <laughs> we're going to talk about it. Don't behave like a rake hell. This is no one knows for sure. This has been a great uh, conjecture about you uh, all throughout history. Um, while you were at college, you disappeared for long stretches of time, and yet you still uh, earned your degree, you earned your diploma. Um, and it is believed that during these long stretches of time, you were off uh, serving Her Majesty in, uh, in covert affairs. People you believe you were, you you were recruited. Yes, people believe you were recruited um, out of Cambridge. Uh, just like the plot of Alias. Have you seen Alias? <laughs> Absolutely. That Jennifer Garner. <laughs> I was in Her Majesty's Secret Service, you see. You're saying you were? I'm saying it as so long as it does not leave this room. Well, you're certainly beyond any, any repercussions at this point. We're so far in the future from your time. You, you can speak freely, say whatever you like. I was a spy. <laughs> feels, feels good, doesn't it? Feels, oh. it, it gets better. It gets better. Oh, I've longed to tell that to so many times. Ford has stepped forward on my lips like a woman on the white chalk cliffs of Dover, lamenting her love, thinking, shall I splash myself upon the rocks and make myself a bloody wave crest fallen? No, but I have not let it come forth. No, I have bottled it in like a cask of wine, never drunk and spoiling to fermentation so rank that it should cause a rift between a lover and her sir. <laughs> but now, now, Wells, you have allowed me to unburden myself, and I was a spy working for Her Majesty, passing out counterfeit coins on a Dutch island against the Catholics working for the Protestants, for they are heretics and atheists all. And am I? Do I believe in God? I won't say. I don't. <laughs> Read. Um, the uh, surviving college buttery, that's the provision store. Isn't that charming? Buttery. Call it a buttery. <laughs> yes. I'm off to the buttery to what get some What do you call provisions. it here? Uh, probably the school store, I suppose people call it these days, where you buy oh. your, your hoodies and so forth. <laughs> <laughs> your hoodies, your fridge magnets, your mugs. See, we would go to a buttery to buy a hooded jacket. You go to a school store to buy a hoodie. So it's a bit of a trade. I suppose some words slightly changed, others not much at all. Well, it's a battle of cutesy colloquialisms, I should think. My point was, um, the, the records from that time uh, indicate that you began spending lavishly on food and drink during these uh, periods you were in attendance, uh, <laughs> indicating that perhaps you were making all this, uh, this dosh from your spying and then coming back and enjoying the high life there in the old dorms. <laughs> I won't swear upon it, old man, but I did have my way with the drink and the cakes and the ladies. Also, had, had your way with the cakes, did you? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. A bit of my mustache has come off on my hands and my leg hair is poking through my leggings and I'm wearing my girlfriend's dress backwards. <laughs> Thank you.
If, if, if you must do that, go behind the chair. Can we stop at an H&M after this? <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> um, now, the atheism question. Oh, I won't budge, Wells. You were rumoured to be an atheist. I am. Um, which at the time... <laughs> You've got me, old boy. Rumour confirmed. <laughs> Your tongue is like an epée, ever glancing wounds, never stabbing, but making me reveal. And there's a little beeping sound that goes off, <laughs> indicating I've got a point. Beep. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> a hit, a very palpable hit. Um, at the time, being an atheist... Uh, was uh, tantamount to declaring yourself an enemy of God, which was frowned upon by the government and by everyone else. <laughs> Go ahead and say it, Wells. Are you calling me a rebel? <laughs> well, I, if so, you were a secret rebel because you, you weren't professing your atheism, you, but you're rumoured to be an atheist. But I'm still a rebel, correct? <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're rebellious after a fashion. <laughs> Well, you, cer you certainly aroused the ire of, uh, of a great many people. And uh, there was a fellow, um, what was the name? Uh, Baines, Richard Baines. Um, this fellow did not like you at all and tried to get you strung up as an atheist. Uh, he attributed to you a total of 18 items. <laughs> he accused you of atheism. He, called, he, called you, he accused you of a total of 18 items which, quote, scoff at the pretensions of the Old and New Testament. <laughs> Here's the list of things you're said to have done. Uh, you, 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 he says you said Christ was a bastard and his mother was dishonest, which meant uh, unchaste. Um, the woman of Samaria and her sister were whores and that Christ knew them dishonestly. We know what that means now. <laughs> Saint John the Evangelist. Are you familiar with him? Yes. Rings a bell? Yes. Uh, he was bedfellow to Christ and leaned always in his bosom. Wink, wink. <laughs> and that he used St. John as the sinners of Sodom. No winking required. <laughs> and this perhaps, this, this is a charge you don't hear every day. Um, he persuades men to atheism, willing them not to be afraid of bugbears and hobgoblins. <laughs> very, very serious charge back in your time? Sex sells, Wells. <laughs> Do you fear yourselves of hobgoblins and bugbears in this time? Well, let's try there. this. Let's take a quick poll. Round of applause. How many people are afraid of bugbears and hobgoblins? <laughs> right. Round of applause. How many people not so afraid of bugbears and hobgoblins? <laughs> the brave have it, it would seem. <laughs> I see it's only a slight majority, though. This worries yes, me it is, time. It is somewhat astonishing that the fear of bugbears and hobgoblins has held on. It's taken root here in Seattle. Do you even know what a bugbear is? I don't. Let me illuminate you. Close your eyes. Cover your orbs. Shut down your vision makers. Let it's like the beginning of The Outer Limits. <laughs> it's amazing what I've squeezed in in the short time I've been here. Now, let me transport you to the dark and dank moors. A heath where a wind blows cold. The sound just as chilling. Is it the wind? Is it the sound? It's both. The feeling, a sort of gestalt. 
Then, the moon shuts off as if it were a candle blown out by a bandit. But it is not. It is the blood taking over the sky as a bugbear comes over the horizon. Is he a bear? Is he a bug? Is he both? Is he a bug that goes on a bear? Is he a bear that eats a bug? Semantics! A bear that eats a bug? Would anyone truly be afraid of a bear that ate a bug? What if that bug is on an antelope? Oh, I say. They have that ticks. Reindeers have ticks. This bugbear is a hell beast, charged with flaying your flesh open like so many wallets. <laughs> now fear you the bugbear? Now fear you the hobgoblin? Spider-Man, now there's a great movie. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. May I, may I ask you a question? Yay. Have you seen that movie Spider-Man 2? <laughs> I, I have. <laughs> with, with Dr. Doctopus? With Dr. Dr. Doctopus, he's a, he's a doctor with doctor arms. Yes. I'm sorry, you have not seen enough of my face. <laughs> ah! Oh, and these people haven't seen enough of mine. Oh. Don't like seeing that empty seat. I wish I hadn't turned around. Now let's get into talk of your, uh, your sexuality. Wow. Well, don't tell me, don't, don't pretend, sir, that all of a sudden you're, you're some sort of uh, shrinking violet. Well, I'm not an expanding violet. Y I... You come out here drinking a carafe of ale. Look, I have no more depravity in my sexuality than the Greeks. Oh, not a good example. Get at it, Wells. What sayest thou? Well, uh, some people feel that uh, you, you perhaps were a homosexual, but then uh, there's other people who say by today's standards, um, there were certain acts that uh, in, in your time would define one as a homosexual, which wouldn't necessarily do so today. Let me quote from my very own verse to prove my point. Oh, that's never happened on this show before. <laughs> Could I very well be a homosexual having writ these lines? His thighs were like an envelope of waterfall <laughs> cascading down on me to a place I have not been but yea long to go. Though I would part them like a straw meadow grass as I walked through. Only then should I find myself in truth, for I am a homosexual. <laughs> Good luck, Wells! You critics always finding your hidden meaning. <laughs> I like you not. Would I, if I was a homosexual, would I be wearing my girlfriend's dress? <laughs> I don't think so. I can hear it ripping as we speak. Pick her up something nice from the airport. <laughs> um, Perhaps a neck pillow. Oh, one of those uh, little foil water bags with a carabiner that I see people walking around with. Well, I, yeah. do, I quite like those because they fold up 
And then, uh, you're not carrying a bulky water bottle I around. never thought of it that way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they roll up and then you, you put the roll inside the carabiner. What? Yes. <laughs> Acts as a sort of holder for the rolled up water bottle. What you have done with your time is near waste. I thought for sure to find ourselves in an apocalyptic hellhole, but you have done great things, all of you. <laughs> Even you, the bugbear worshippers. <laughs> well done. Um, you were very respected as an artist in your time. Uh, your, your contemporaries all uh, respected you. Um, there is the, the lingering question, uh, did you write Shakespeare's plays? Now, there's some people that feel that you faked your own death and you went on writing Shakespeare's plays. They don't uh, really provide any explanation as to why you would do that and why you wouldn't just write your own plays under your own name if you weren't dead. Um, there's actually uh, as much conjecture as there is uh, that, uh, that you were uh, in reality Shakespeare. There's one person in 1819, a writer in the Monthly Review, uh, a periodical that's long since deceased, um, can Christopher Marlowe be a nom de guerre assumed for a time by Shakespeare? So there's at least one chap out there saying that uh, you weren't Shakespeare, Shakespeare was you. He wishes the tit. <laughs> Wells, if I were Shakespeare, would I have writ these lines? <laughs> to be or not to be? That is the question, whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Does that sound like Shakespeare to you, It Wells? rather does. It rather does sound like Shakespeare. How about this? All the world's a stage. No? Rings a bell? Uh... Gallop apace, you fiery steed. Romeo, Romeo, wherefore I am Shakespeare. <laughs> Let's have it out. I am he. He is me. Oh, it's good to get all this out, Wells. Well, now, now, that, now that you can tell everyone, why did you pretend to be Shakespeare? Why did I pretend to be Shakespeare? Why did I pretend not to be a spy? Why did I pretend to be a Catholic, an atheist? Why am I a homosexual? I don't know. I am what I am. I can't breathe until you're resting here with me. <laughs> Wells, thou hast done for me, in fact, indeed, forsooth and in truth, a solid. <laughs> we, have, we have time to, um, to take some questions from the social networking platform Twitter. I, I do want to say this, and, and perhaps you'll be pleased to hear this, um, that uh, there's a memorial window uh, for you in Poets' Corner in Westminster Abbey. I am about to be touched. <laughs> um, and... It lists your dates, uh, birth and death, but it, it, it says that uh, there's a question mark after your death date. And there are some people that feel that uh, that shouldn't be on there. They say, uh, respect history. We know that this fellow died. Uh, so please remove that question mark. It remains there to this day. I guess the question I'm asking is, are you still alive? <laughs> By the silks of my gown, by the tights and creeping hair, I walk among you from heath to moor as an undead bugbear. 
That's quite a turn up for the books. You're I am the undead. I am Dr. Faustus. I made a deal with the devil. I say. And a deal once made, I played fiddle with him and he... What? Now this sounds familiar. It's a tale as old as time. Great movie. There's this, there's this other chap made a deal with the devil for a fiddle made of gold. Now you see, the devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind. He was way behind. And he was looking to make a deal. I don't understand how Satan himself got bogged down and was un unable to fulfill his quota of souls when he's in charge of everything. Speaking as the undead, the paperwork is tremendous. Is that song based upon you? <laughs> Every generation has its Dr. Faustus, whether it be Charlie Daniels and his band of merry men. Whether it be... Dr. Faustus by Goethe. <laughs> I'm sorry. Every generation has its Dr. Faustus, including ones that have Dr. Faustus. Well, yes. For many generations, it was just Dr. Faustus. <laughs> right. But it was a Dr. Faustus of our own. We said, no, well, Dr. This ain't your granddaddy's Dr. No. Faustus. Some generations, he was a medical doctor. Sometimes he was just an honorary doctor of science. Sometimes he... Like he had a Bachelor of Arts or something? Yes. <laughs> Some, I believe I called him the tragical history of Dr. Faustus or something of that sort. I don't you liked the word tragical. You used it quite a lot. <laughs> Life is a tragedy. Tears falling from my eyes. Like so many spiderwebs spinning gossamer trails. Spinning like candy. I'll stop Wait, there. No, no, no. We have no. We are running. We're running dangerously short on time. But that was a good one. Now, well, oh, that could have been my tambourine part three. Well, another, another, yet another Marlovian mystery for people to take with them from the theater. We are but strewn in myths, like so many <laughs> rivulets poking forth from a stream, branching off into tributaries, one leading right, the next left, east, west. What shall we be but bereft of the ones we once loved? No laughs. That's a bit of a downer. <laughs> Tragedy. <laughs> yes. Tragedy. <laughs> the feeling's gone and you can't go on. It's a tragedy. I do love your days. The tea's gone cold. I don't know why. Um, from Twitter, um, Matildas Q. What? I don't know. Uh, it's tedious to read the screen. <laughs> Would Mr. Marlowe consider a little strangers on a train arrangement with Mr. Wells vis-a-vis -vis Messrs. Verne and Shakespeare? Let's take him down. A Absolutely. A <laughs> um, fellow named Mike. I don't know how he got there first. <laughs> Sirs, do you prefer the eloquence of Elizabethan speech or the grunts, blurts? and acronym-heavy language of today. Example, LOL. Explain to me this LOL. Well, it means lots of love, and... <laughs> do you know, if, if someone you know suffered a death in the family, and, and you work in an office, and you're asked to sign a card, it's very polite to write at the bottom, LOL. 
I will remember that always. Kate Roper asks, Mr. Marlowe, if you were a spy, which James Bond were you most like? <laughs> I would have the charisma of Connery. The laconic languid style of Lazenby. <laughs> the wincing charm of Roger Moore. The win wincing charm. <laughs> the axe-cleft chin of Timothy Dalton. <laughs> the pretty boy twinkle toes of Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> and the powder blue swimming costume of Daniel Craig. But also, I would have the, the pioneering prominence of Barry Nelson, who played him on TV in the first teleplay of Casino Royale, as the American Jimmy Bond. I am not a spy. <sighs> Leslie asks, well, we a lot of early adopters. <laughs> Who was worse, actors or audiences? Actors for audiences are friends looking on me like so many Brady Bunch family members stacked upon each other. One the Alice, the other the Cindy, looking down at Bobby upwards to father who has since left us in sadness, tragedy. <laughs> What, uh, Mary McDowell asks, what was the most impressive thing you've seen or experienced in the 21st century? Catherine Heigl. <laughs> Is she here tonight? <laughs> Catherine Heigl, if you are here and you're just a bit shy, please make yourself known to an usher. She is that rare combination of blonde hair and chestnut eyes bringing in such a swarthiness to a fairness that never the twain shall meet, but they do in her face. Her face being like a drawbridge lowered to... <laughs> Normally I'm alone when I do these things. So if I have a bit of a hiccup, it's, it's not a big deal. I take a bath, I light some candles. But now I feel a bit of pressure. I'll get back to you. Um, now that you are beyond uh, uh, logic, L-A-W-J-I-C-K. Get it? Puns were the highest form of comedy in our day. I'm so sorry. Why? Uh, how shall I put this? Puns, in a pun. Puns. <laughs> I'll get back to you. <laughs> Light some candles, well, well, let me have a think, let me have a think. Uh, Logic asks, now that you are beyond the statute of limitations, how would, how would you like to blaspheme? It was very, you weren't allowed to blaspheme in your day, it was a very serious crime. Uh, now you're free to blaspheme as much as you want. There's a chap called Bill Maher, makes a whole career out of it. I'd like to get down and dirty if thou wilt excuse me. Give I'm me, I, I, I say, 
this would be fun. Give me five blasphemes. Any five you like. Jesus, the Lord, our Christ, was a milk-livered, crusty botch of nature. Number one! <laughs> Mary, the virgin mother, was a camel-haired, two-nosed, serving wench. <laughs> that one doesn't count. It wasn't any good. <laughs> I thought that two-nosed thing was very insulting. Why do you need two noses? It's like you having two livers. One wouldn't need two noses. John the Baptist was neither a Baptist nor a John, for he never visited a house of ill repute. He's a liar. Blaspheme number two. How many of these? Five. Dear Lord. Three! Because <laughs> you didn't mean it. Number four. Mary of Magdalene is the sang real, the cup of Christ. Her blood runs in the lineage that Jesus Christ has given down to us today. He was married. Da Vinci Code. <laughs> Number five. You did, you did just pinch that from the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> Great movies you have. Great movies. Ron Howard. There's a man among men. A man for all ages. Number five, this one goes out to you, Mr. God. You think you know your stuff? How am I still standing here? Having been stabbed in the right eye, I should be all rights be dead, cast into hell. But no, I am living in defiance of you. Cast me down now if you think that that, what? My heart stopped. Oh, well. Well, then best, best, to, best to wrap it up, then. Um, fellow named... Uh, deep breaths, deep breaths. Have, have, a, have a sip of ale. Um, John Schmidt asks, Mr. Marlowe, how would your version of Romeo and Juliet have ended? The same way it did when I wrote it the first time. Oh! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Christopher Marlowe! Thank you all very much. To learn how you can contribute monetarily or otherwise to an 826 chapter near you, go to 826national.org. The original Dead Authors reading series was created by Mr. John Korn. Until next time, this is H.G. Wells saying, the show is over.